Man, I think I, I say this every time that I get a chance to preach, but I really get to he hear y'all sing better when I preach because I just stand back there and it's just like angels are in the room with us. And I believe that they are, but y'all sound beautiful. Please don't stop. Just keep getting better. Get out there. Start practicing in the bathroom if you need to. You know, just like uh, you really do sound beautiful. And I, I think that you have made the heart of Jesus happy today as you have worshiped him. Uh, for those of you I haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be able to just share with you my heart today. I actually want to talk a lot about what we just sang about, uh, even when I don't see it, you're working. I'm talk about doubt. I want to talk about what it looks like to move past doubt. Um, you know, last week, if you were here, we celebrated Easter together. We, we celebrated Jesus being alive. And, and, and I don't know if you know this, that's actually what we come and celebrate every single week in this place. But on Easter, we, I mean, we go all in, we celebrate, we broke records, we crammed more people in this place than we've ever crammed in here before. But can I just tell you my favorite thing about the whole week is 11 people said yes to Jesus. That's my favorite thing. Yeah, that is... That's the metric that we're measuring everything by, to be honest with you. We saw 11 people last week. I think the week before that, it was six. The week before that, it was seven. That's as far back as I can remember. But it's just like every week God's doing something, and he's showing up in people's lives, and they're coming to know Jesus. And as I was thinking about that, and as I was reading through just Holy Week and that resurrection week and Jesus dying and everything that people went through, I really started to think of, like, doubt, and what that must have looked like. And I really, today what I want to do is I want to look at Peter and his life and his faith. And I don't know if you know this or not, but he went through a whole lot of stuff in a week. He went from like sold out as all in as somebody could be to like completely tearing his faith apart and running away and hiding and nobody knows where he was at. Doubting, right? I know Thomas kind of gets the, the rap for being doubting Thomas, but they all ran away. They all disappeared. They were all nowhere to be found. And so I really, really want to hone in on Peter and his life and his faith, um, because I think there's some really incredible questions that Jesus asks Peter and conversations that he has with Peter that I think he's really trying to have with us as well. And so if you're here today and you're one of those 11 or 7 or 6, or maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, but you know, like, maybe that's the extent of your faith and, and you're not completely sure what you believe, or maybe you've faced doubt before, or maybe you're in the middle of something that you're just doubting. I just, I want to start off by saying this, just kind of putting this truth in front of us as we move forward, and it's simply this, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is an opportunity to a stronger faith, okay? And so I really, I want to just kind of keep that in front of us as we move forward, because here's what I know. We are all going to en encounter something in our lives, in, in our journeys of faith, where we come up against something that does not line up with what we've believed our whole lives. And in that moment, we have an opportunity to, to, to figure out, okay, how, how do I grow my faith in this? How do I have a stronger faith? Or we, or we have an opportunity to kind of respond the way Peter and all the other disciples do and just kind of run away. And so I want to really look in at, at Peter's life and, and what that looks like. And, and before we jump in, my guess is uh, you've probably noticed like in our culture today, uh, especially in my generation, I won't say which generation that is, but it's a generation, okay? Uh, I've really leaned into this idea and really younger than that, and it's not really a new concept, but the, it's maybe a newer trend to really do, to, to deconstruct your faith. And if you've heard about that, you might know it's a little bit of a controversial topic, but I don't want to not talk about it just because it's controversial. And so here's what I'll say about deconstructing your faith. It can be done right, and it can be done wrong. In other words, you can go into deconstructing your faith, and maybe the whole reason you want to do that is because you're bitter, 
right? Like people have hurt you. The church has hurt you. Maybe uh, people in leadership have hurt you. Maybe you walk into a place like this and you go, there's more hypocrites in there than Christians. And I go, yeah, you're probably right. But that's why we come in here, right? And, and so those are all your reasons for going in. Chances are you're going to go into this deconstructing process not really to, to figure out the truth, but really to construct your own reason to continue to be bitter and to be hurt and to go, yeah, I was right all along, right? Or you can go into it with a heart that says, I just, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the truth. I want my faith to be based on truth. And I really do believe, just like with anything in the Christian faith, it really comes down to the position of your heart. And so if we can go into that thing, I really think we can take apart this thing that we call faith and then figure out how to carefully put it back together and if, can I just say, I think this is where a lot of people miss it. Like they do the deconstructing part, but then they forget the reconstructing part. And it's just like we give up in the middle somewhere and, and everything's just kind of falling apart at that point and we run away to the things that we know. But as we look at Peter and his faith, we find that's exactly what he did. And uh, so I want to dive into his life and I hope that, uh, I hope this doesn't come as too much as a gut punch kind of a week, but I got a lot of stuff I want to run through. So can you guys like just hang in with me? Is that all right? All right, half of you, I'm good. Half of you will hang in there. We're good. Uh, Luke 22, verse 33, uh, it says this. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. That's faith, right? Like this is the Peter that has seen uh, all the incredible things that, that Jesus has done firsthand. Like he was there. Jesus was there. Peter was here. He saw it happen. Right? He saw blind eyes and deaf ears opened. He saw uh, lame people walk. Right? He saw mute people speak. Uh, he walked on water at one point. What? Like Peter did that, right? He, he, he saw a kid's lunch feed thousands and thousands of people with baskets and baskets left over. Th this is that Peter. He is as all in as somebody can get, right? Can we agree on that? Okay. You don't have to, but I mean, he's, he's pretty all in, right? So he says, I'm ready to go to prison with you, even to die with you. And then Jesus responds. But Jesus said, verse 34, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. You'll deny even knowing me. And see, Jesus, he's, he's saying to Peter, you may think that you're all in, but you're not yet. You may think, I know everything that there is to know, and I'm sold out, and I'm willing to die for it. But what he doesn't know is that Jesus knows that he's got questions that he doesn't even know he has yet. He's got doubts that he's going to face that he doesn't know that he's even going to face yet. And so he's saying, Peter, you may think, you may think you're willing to die for me, but you're not yet. And I say yet because, just so you know, he gets there. Uh, Pastor Andy, he shared the news with us last week, that they all willingly died for Jesus. So his faith gets there. He gets that stronger faith. But I love that Jesus doesn't say, you're a failure. He just says, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times. It's going to happen. In fact, he, he goes on. He doesn't condemn or anything like that. He just goes on in the next few verses to tell his disciples, like, hey, here's what you need to do to prepare for the coming days as I am betrayed and as I'm crucified and as I go away. This is what you need to do, right? And I don't think they really got it at all, but Jesus did what he needed to do. And then uh, the, the moment comes where Peter has the opportunity to stand up, to like really live out what he just said a few verses ago, like to stand up and say, I will die for you. I will go to prison with you. Like he just said that. And then just a few verses later in verse 56, he has the opportunity to live out what he just said. It says this, The servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, This man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, which is not a great way to start a sentence. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. One. 
After a while, someone else looked at him and said, You must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. Two. About an hour later, someone else insisted, This must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Three. And then immediately the rooster crows. And if you read in Scripture, Jesus is actually, he's, he's at the whipping post. Peter's kind of hiding in the crowd. And Jesus turns and he looks at Peter. And Peter, you know, he goes, oh, yeah, I, I, never mind. I do know him. No, he doesn't. He cries and he runs away. He cries and he runs away. Which I think we could all just, if we were really honest, I won't make you raise your hands, but we've all done that. We've all denied him. We've all just run away. We've all just gone back to what we know and said, I, I don't know about this. He runs away. See, Peter wasn't at the cross, as far as we know. None of the Gospels actually tell us what happened that next day after Jesus died. Other than Luke, he records that they rested. It's the Sabbath, we're going to rest. They knew how to do that, which sounds great, actually, resting. That's a great idea. They didn't understand. They didn't understand what was happening. Even though Jesus literally had told them on repeat what was going to happen. Right? He said, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise three days later. He had told them. Right, we read that in Matthew 16. Jesus is still alive. Uh, it says this, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples. In other words, from that point, and then he kept telling them. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. He told them. He told them over and over and over and over again, but they could not wrap their heads around it. It seemed too impossible. It didn't make any sense. Yeah, Jesus did amazing things when he was alive, but he was alive when he did them, and dead people don't do things, right? Which is true, right? And their, their belief came up to another belief, and Instead of trying to grow in this faith, right, like they had, they'd witnessed all these things that Jesus had done, they, they hit this wall of, oh, well, I guess that's not true because this has been true my whole life and I've believed this my whole life. Dead people don't do things. And for anybody other than Jesus, maybe that's true. And so they ran away and they hid and they rested. And the question is like, what do you do in those moments? What do you do in those moments? I, can I tell you, Peter really didn't get it. He really, really didn't get it. Actually, Jesus says what he says in Matthew 16, like, I'm going to die. All this is going to happen. And then Peter, uh, with a huge amount of faith, apparently, says this in the next verse. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Not a good move, dude. Not a good move. He's reprimanding Jesus for saying such things. And he says, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. And then I love, Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And see, what I think Jesus is doing here is, first of all, going, remember who you're talking to. But then secondly, I think he's kind of pointing to Isaiah 55, where it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord, right? Neither are my ways your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts, and my way is higher than yours. Right? He's saying... I know you don't get it, but it's okay. In other words, my plan was never your plan. Stop thinking that it's going to be your plan. And I got to tell you, I read through Scripture and I go, how do you guys not see this? Like, I know we have a little bit more of the full picture of what happened now. So I know I get to look on and, and be kind of judgy. But I go, I mean, like, how did you go from walking on water to 
oh, that must not be true, to just completely given up on this thing. And Jesus is telling him, like, stop thinking that my plans are like your plan. Stop thinking that everything that you believed about your Messiah, right, about your God is actually who I am. In a way, I think Jesus actually came and led the disciples through uh, kind of the de- deconstructing process. He, 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 I mean, one of his most famous things he says is, you've heard it said, but I say, right? Like one of those examples is, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You've heard this, right? You've believed this. But what I'm trying to tell you is that's not that's, that's not the faith that I'm calling you to. That's not who I am. That's not who your God is. That's not what the Messiah looks like. Jesus was really trying to get them to see that, like, he was, he was calling them to follow him, to, to see him, to believe in him and who he is, not just things that they had heard about God or a Messiah. He was saying, what you believed about me all this time, that's not who I am. That's not who I came to be. And so here's maybe... Uh, a hard truth to, to just accept, but again, I don't want to not say it just because it's hard. Everything that you believe about God may not be true. Let it sink in for a minute. Absorb the punch. Everything that you believe about God might not be true, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that everything you believe about God isn't true just because one thing that you come up against turns out to not be exactly painted the way that you thought it was. And so many times, I, I'll tell you, I think about the 11 people that said yes last week and the 11 or 12, 13 before that, right? Like, it's, I don't want to say it's, it's not easy to come into a room like this filled with people that you don't know and say, yes, I accept Jesus and say, I'm all in, right? But that's kind of what Peter does, right? I'm ready to die for you. I'm in. I'm all in. And then you face something and you come up against something and doubt creeps in. And I just want to challenge you when that doubt creeps in. Don't take that as, as a sign that, oh, i got to give up on this thing. I'm done with it. Because remember, doubt is not, it's not, it's, it, it's not the opposite of faith. It's an opportunity to a stronger faith. And so I challenge you, lean into that doubt and go, what is that? What is that? Don't give up on everything that you believe just because you can't figure out how to make one thing line up with this picture that you've painted of this perfect God that you love and all this, right? Like, why do you doubt? And this is what Jesus was calling Peter to do, right? Give up the lies that you've believed and cling to the truth. Jesus wanted them to focus on the truth and get rid of all of the things that that they had attached, right? All the man-made tradition, religion, regulation, like all that. He's saying, I mean, do what you want with that, but that's not what I'm calling you to. That's not what I'm about. And so Peter, the same Peter who walked on water with Jesus, right, who had witnessed all of the incredible miracles of Jesus, that Peter, who was as all-in as someone could be, he doubted. He doubted that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And the reason I know that, hear me, the reason I know that Peter doubted, because it doesn't actually say Peter doubted in Scripture. But the reason I know that he doubted is because he wasn't standing at the tomb on Easter morning. Right? If he 100% believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be, he would have been standing at that tomb, ready to go before the sun rose, breakfast ready, and, I mean, Jesus comes out of the tomb, best day of his life, right? But he wasn't there because he couldn't wrap his mind around it because he wasn't sure what he believed about this man, Jesus, anymore. He knew he loved him. He knew he was an incredible man. But he wasn't sure what he believed about him anymore. And I think if we're honest, 
Sometimes when we face that doubt, we go, I'm not really sure what I believe about this man anymore. Or we come up against questions that we start to pose, right? Like, would Jesus be a Democrat or would he be a Republican? Right? Would he, is he like inclusive or is he exclusive? Is Jesus really God? Was he just a man? We have all these questions. Like, is Jesus fill in the blank, right? And what I've noticed is those questions, those doubts, they're all attached to our culture. They're all attached to our lives and what we're going through and the things that we face. And I think that the mistake that, that Peter really made and the mistake that we tend to make is, is we've taken Jesus because Jesus, he met us where we're at, just like he met Peter on that boat, right? Think about the moment he met Peter, right? He, 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 he meets him out on the beach. He asks him to take him out on a boat. Peter's been fishing all day. He's caught nothing. Jesus says, let's just go out one more time. Throw your net out on this side. And Peter just goes, okay, I'll kind of indulge you. He throws it out. He catches all these fish and he's overwhelmed by who Jesus is. And he follows Jesus, right? Jesus met him where he was at. But then what happened? He said, follow me. In other words, he's calling you out of, of all of this. He's ca- calling you out of your life. He's calling you out of your culture. He's calling you out of all the things that you want to see that are happy and good and all that. He's not saying you can't be happy and you can't have good things. He's just saying, I'm not calling you to take my name and apply it to things in your life. I'm calling you to take your life and follow me, to lay down everything and just say, I'm in with you. I want to attach my name to who Jesus is, not attach Jesus to ch- some of the things in my life. Does that make sense? And I really feel like that that's where maybe the church is kind of at. And I don't mean upward. I just mean the church as a whole is we've really taken Jesus' name and applied it to things instead of just going, it's, no, it's all Jesus. It's all his. And I'm going to give it all to him. And Jesus says, no, I need you to follow me. And I got to tell you, as I look at Peter's story, I go, man, how did he doubt? How, how did he go from... The Peter that we started with, right, like, I'm ready to die for you, to, to running away, nowhere to be found, not at the cross, not at the tomb with breakfast ready. Like, how, how did he doubt? And then, I'll be honest with you, it just kind of hit me this week. This was really the first time Peter ever had to have faith. This is the first time he really had to have faith in Jesus. And I know that maybe you're like, I don't know about that, but... But faith in Scripture, it tells us faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And he wasn't hoping for Jesus. Jesus was right there like, what's up, Jesus? He could, he could see him. He could touch him. He could look at him. And so when faced with an actual moment where he had to have faith in Jesus, a Jesus that wasn't there, that didn't seem to be there, he did what a lot of us do and he ran away. He just took off. I think maybe the, the first maybe little glimmer of faith that we see in Peter is the moment he walks on water, right? He, he's out on the boat. They're on the boat a lot. That's what they do. They're on the boat, and uh, Jesus isn't with them. And then all of a sudden, they see Jesus, which they weren't sure if it was Jesus or not, walking toward them on the water. And Peter, long story short, basically says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. Jesus says, come on. And then Peter gets out of the boat and puts a foot on the water and then walks to Jesus, right? So... I think there's a glimmer of faith in that. I mean, I know he could see Jesus. He heard Jesus' voice. He knew what he was walking towards. And then as, as you read through the story, you notice that he starts to look around and he sees wind and waves. And he's like, oh, wait a minute. I can't walk on water. It's like he remembered all of a sudden. And then he sinks. And then Jesus walks over and he saves him. 
And this is just how I picture it. He might, I mean, I don't know if he picked him up like this. I don't know if he walked back to the boat or if he had to carry him. I don't know, right? But then he asked Peter a question. He says, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And I think all of my, my life and throughout my faith, I've, I've thought that Jesus asked that in kind of an accusatory kind of way. Like, why did you doubt, you weirdo? Like, you were just walking on water. You could see me. Like, what, what happened? But what if it wasn't an accusation? What if it was an invitation? What if it was a, why did you doubt? What's keeping you from completely trusting in me? What's keeping you from, from experiencing the fullness of who I am and what, what I want to do in your life? What's holding you back? I think you need to figure that out. Why did you doubt? I think we should figure that out. That way, when, when faced with the hard moments of life, let's be honest, hard moments of life, they happen a lot. And when we face them, if we can really figure out the answer to that question, why did I doubt? I think we can stand in those hard moments on more than just our principles. And, and you know, th- maybe this will be the biggest truth that I shared with some of you today, but I, I feel like I just need to say it. If, if the only way you know to answer the question is who is Jesus to you, right, is, is, is through a scripture or through maybe a song lyric or uh, maybe something that you've heard from somebody else, I feel like maybe you're missing out a little bit. I mean, I think about growing up in church, right? I mean, Jesus posed that question to Peter too, right? He, he asked Peter, he actually asked everybody there. He, he said, who do you say that I am? And a lot of them, they, they, they said, you know, well, some say you're this and some say you're that. And then Jesus is like, no, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, gold star, gets the right answer. But who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he to you? And again, I, I remember growing up in church. I've been in church my whole life, and I remember singing, singing the songs and coloring the pictures and, you know, all the things. The felt board. Anybody remember a felt board? Like that? Okay, yeah. I remember singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I love that song. I think Whitney Houston's probably got the best version, right? But can I just, I don't know the best way to say this other than just say it. If the only way that you know that Jesus loves you is because your Bible told you so, and you are missing out, you're missing something that you don't know you're missing. You're missing out on a relationship with the creator of the universe, and that's how he wants to know you. Can I just tell you, I don't know that Jesus loves me because my Bible tells me so. I know because I've witnessed his peace in my life. I've witnessed his presence in my life and in my home and in this place. I've witnessed his peace sweep into a room that was full of hurt and death and betrayal. And and, and in a room where there's no business for peace to be, there was Jesus. And peace was there. Jesus loves me, this I know, because Jesus told me so. In other words, don't attach your faith to principles about Jesus. Attach your faith to the person that is Jesus. Who do you say that he is? Who is he to you? And see, when your faith is not built on a personal relationship with Jesus, and it's just built on things that you've heard about him, anytime something happens outside of the picture that you've painted of him, you immediately doubt who he is. Because your belief, it's tied to a principle and not to a person. And this is exactly what Peter did. 
He had expected a Messiah, right, to, to be someone that would come in and conquer and would rule as king and set everyone free, which is exactly what he did. But the conquering didn't look like what he thought it would look like. The, the ruling didn't look like what he thought it would look like. The setting free didn't look like what he thought it would look like. And so Peter did what we all kind of have a natural <laughs> tendency to do. He ran away. He ran it back to what he used to know. Which we read in John 21, verses 3 through 9. And what you need to know before we jump into this part is, is that Peter, Peter's, he's run away, but Jesus is dead. He's died, right? Sunday has, has come and gone. Jesus is alive, but Peter doesn't know where Jesus is. He doesn't know where he's at. In verse 3, it says this. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. And then the six other guys, they say, we'll come too. So they went out on the boat. There they go again. But they caught nothing all night because they're really great fishermen. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, which is not what, there's no way he said, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there was so many fish in it. And then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord, right? And then to, to, to shorten the story here a little bit, Peter goes crazy. He dives in the water. Maybe he walked. It doesn't say. It just says he gets out of the boat and he goes to shore. And the other disciples kind of row in because they're just like from here to there. They're like, what are you doing? Like, we're going to get there at the same time, right? So Peter gets there, probably soaking wet. The other guys pull up. They're trying to bring all, like, this is all happening, I can't help but laugh at that story. I just go, what, what were you thinking, Peter? Um, but I love this. Verse 9, it says, When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. See, Peter didn't, he didn't know where Jesus would be. And no, he wasn't waiting at the tomb with breakfast ready. But Jesus was ready. Jesus had breakfast ready. Jesus knew where Peter would be. He knew he was going to run right back to what he knew before. Even though he wasn't even good at it. He knew where he'd be. And it's almost like he was saying, I can meet you back where we started. We can start over. Now I'm going to need you to hit the ground running this time. I don't have three years to give you. It's almost like he, he reached out his hand again and said, why did you doubt? And then he, he, he has a conversation with Peter. He, they actually, a few verses later, I think they have it in here. Yeah, uh, they sit down after breakfast. In verse 15, it says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He's talking about all the other guys. He's like, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. See, for every time that Peter denied knowing Jesus, Jesus offered a chance at redemption. He said, I got you. But what I, I think is really interesting about this, this passage is I, I think he's, he's trying to call Peter to a deeper faith. He's trying to say, this is what happened last time. What's going to happen the next time? And if you actually look at this in the original, in, in the Greek, Jesus says, do you love me? And when he says, love me the first time, he says, agape. 
He uses the word agape. And Peter responds by saying, you know that I love you, but he doesn't use the word agape. Agape, it means like unconditional. It means I'm all in, like the, the love that we would have thought Peter had when we started out today, right? And, and Peter responds by saying, you know that I love you, but he says the word philia, right? Which is like a brotherly love, like a dear friend. He says, you know I, I love you like a brother. And then, and then Jesus asks again, do you love me, agape? Do you, do you love me unconditionally? And Peter responds, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. And he says it again. And so then Jesus, what's interesting to me, Jesus changes his question the third time. The third time he uses Peter's word. He says, do you love me like a brother? Almost as to say, like, are you sure you love me like that? Because I don't know if you remember last time that I left, you were nowhere to be found. And so it's like he was saying, are you sure you love me that much? And this is why we see Peter is hurt. He's hurt by the question, right? And he goes, you know everything. You know that I love you like a brother. And so Peter never, he never caves. He never says, yeah, of course I agape love you. And I think it's because he knows, I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm faced with the same thing again. I want to love you like that, but I'm not there yet. And I think Jesus is saying, I can work with that. Let's stretch it. I need more from you. I want to know you more. I, I, I want to grow with you. I want to see you grow. Can I just tell you, if that's you and you're here today and, and maybe you've come up against things in your life, right? And, and, and it feels like, I, I, don't, I don't know that I even believe what I say I believe. Or maybe you're like Peter and, and, and you've already done the doubting, you've already done the running away, and, and maybe you're just back in that place that you know to be. Like maybe this is one of those places, right? Like maybe coming here today is just kind of your way of throwing the net out to not catch any fish. And I just remind you, like, Jesus, he's right there. He, he's all about meeting you where you're at again. And I think he's, 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 he's extending that hand, and he's, he's ready to pull you up. And he's saying, why did you doubt? Not in an accusatory way, but in a way that just says, let's figure this out together. I'm willing to start over if you're willing to start over. But in that same invitation, I think he's, he's trying to stretch you as well. He's trying to stretch his church. He's trying to say, I really, I really need this kind of love. How can we get there? And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what the walls that you have faced are. I don't know how many times you have run into that wall of doubt, but I do know that no matter how many times you deny him, he will offer another chance at redemption because he knows what he sees in you. He knows what he wants to do in you. He's got a plan for you, even though the plan might not look like the plan that you thought that he had for you. And so I'll just remind you one more time, as you come up against those moments in life that cause doubt to creep in, be reminded that that doubt is not the opposite of your faith. You don't have to give up. You don't have to run away. You don't have to run and hide. You don't have to run back to the same old past that you've always run back to. It's an opportunity to lean in and go, why did I doubt? To answer that question, who is Jesus to me? Who is he really? Deconstruct that faith if you need to, but remember to put it back together and cling to the truth of who he is to you. And then answer his call when he says, follow me. Don't just slap his name on some things in your life. Attach your life to who he is. 
And I promise you, he's going to show up in ways that you didn't think were possible. Amen. Y'all pray with me. Man, if there's anybody here today who, who you're here and maybe you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, but today maybe you just thought you couldn't follow Jesus because you've had those doubts, because you've had those questions. But today you're ready to say yes. Man, I just want to invite you today to accept him, to say yes to Jesus, to say I am all in and I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if I'm at agape love yet, but I'm, I'm ready to jump into brotherly love. I'm ready to jump in and start following Jesus so that I can be stretched, so that I can grow. If that's you and you're ready to say yes to Jesus today, can I just ask you, everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, to just slip a hand in the air. We would love to celebrate with you. Awesome. Awesome. Can we celebrate that, y'all? And then I don't want to let today pass without just asking those of us in the room who have, we've been doing this a long time. Maybe you grew up in Sunday school and you colored the pictures and you sang the songs and you've been going through the motions ever since the day that started, but you've never really jumped past the doubt into complete faith in who he is. But today you're ready to say, Jesus, tell me where to throw the net and I'm in. And you're ready to say, I'm all in. I want to rededicate my life to you. I want to follow you and not just slap a label of your name on some things in my life. I want to follow you with everything that I am. If that's you, can I ask you if you just slip your hand up just to to say to him, I'm all in. Awesome. Awesome. Church, will you help me pray with those who are saying yes to Jesus today? If you're saying yes to Jesus, just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are. And thank you for what you're doing in my life. Today, I give you everything that I am. And I ask you to come into my life and change me. Rearrange what you need to so that I can follow you with all that I am. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the life that you gave up so that I could be right here in this moment. I love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Hey, I just want to say thank you guys for hanging in there with me. I know today was a little bit more of like a gut punch kind of Sunday, but I really do believe that God has something special for us as his church. As we take those punches and we say, all right, what am I going to do with it? And so I just want to encourage you and ask you, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to apply? What are you going to live out today? And so as a blessing today, I just want to speak over you the words that Jesus spoke over his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He says this, he says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so now I commission you, church, go out of this place and actually live out that blessing. Go out and speak his name in everything that you do, in word and in deed. And I promise you, he will do something in your life. We love you, we love you, we love you. And can't wait to see you again next week. Have a good one.